All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Buddy Walk with Jesus. As always, as we get started, we want you guys to know two very important things that you are prayed for and that you are loved deeply. Uh, For all the links, for all the things, you can find BuddyWalkWithJesus.com. Check us out on Facebook. There's tons of new things going on. Live streams. We just started a group. All sorts of things going on over at facebook.com slash buddy walk with Jesus. Um, if you want to support the ministry, you can find us over at patreon.com slash buddy walk with Jesus. And last but certain most, but last but certainly not easy for me to say. And last but certainly not <laughs> least, um, you can shoot us over an email prayer at buddywalkwithjesus.com if you are in need of prayer do not hesitate to reach out so um as we continue on through this season of guest hosts um it is my absolute pleasure to welcome friend podcasting compatriot and all-around good dude Brandon Knight to the show. Um, we work together on systematic ecology. Um, he pops in from time to time on uh, Kingdom on the Road. Um, and I have been trying for a minute to get him <laughs> to join us here with the community. So, Brandon, introduce yourself. Well, hi, everybody. I'm Brandon Knight, and if you can't tell from my great Midwestern accent, I'm from the Chicago area. Uh, As Joe said, I'm a fellow podcaster. I host the show My Seminary Life, where I talk about the things I'm studying in grad school right now. I am a youth ministry intern, but I would say above everything else, uh, I've been married for three years now to my wife, Claire, and we are expecting the birth of our first child here a uh, couple months away now, two months away, uh, Cooper will be joining us soon. And yeah, I think that's really, I think that's everything you really need to know. Thanks for having me here on Buddy Walk. You know, part of being in the podcasting community and getting to know other people is you get to that awkward point when you're like, so do I ask to be on your show or do you <laughs> ask me? How does this work? But coming in as a guest uh, host, following in the footsteps of a great co-host that you had for uh, so many years now. Uh, This is actually a little bit more in my wheelhouse, Joe, than podcasting. I've only been podcasting for a year now, but I have been a traveling preacher for eight years. It's the bulk of my ministry experience has been going around to area churches here in Chicagoland, covering the pulpit for pastors who are going on vacation or sabbatical, they have to quarantine because of COVID. That's a new thing. Or the church just doesn't have a pastor. And I come in and I cover the pulpit for a season. So that way the preaching ministry can continue. So this idea of me coming in to fill in a slot for a period of time, that's a little bit more normal for me. So I have to ask, before we get started, how does one find themselves as a traveling preacher? Uh I know it's a cliche, but I don't think this is a, you know, a, this is the same path that everybody took to be a circuit rider preacher like uh, back in the Great Awakening. Base uh, the short version, I'll I'll give you the short version best I can. My final year in college, I waited to take my preaching class. I was really excited to take my preaching class. So I waited, saved it for my final year. I was that weirdo in high school who loved public speaking class. I loved my public speaking class. My minor's actually in communications because I wanted to continue to study presentation skills. And so I saved it for my final, uh, one of my final semesters at Grace took the class obviously was like on fire ready to preach everywhere i went home for fall break i think it was fall break i went home for fall break and i got in contact with a deacon of a church that i knew that they didn't have a pastor they were actually about ready to hire a guy and i told him hey if you need anybody to preach before he comes in i will be home for christmas break and he said sure we can give you one and then another pastor caught wind of that 
and he said, hey, I would like to take a week off right around Christmas. Would you like to also preach? So those were my first two. Those were my first two uh, in my circuit. That was back in 2014. Ended up graduating in 2015 from college. Got an internship with a local church. After my internship, a couple months later, the pastor retired. And then that church got back in contact with me to become one of the regular pulpit fillers throughout the next couple of years. It took them years. Actually, they still don't have a pastor. They're going through other things now. Uh, But I was filling the pulpit one, two, three times a month there for about two to three years. And just from... I I really, you know, I got to give it to my parents because during that time period after college, my parents started giving my name and my phone number to every pastor that they knew. So it really just became a word of mouth thing. Soon pastors were passing my name around and phone number around until it just became a normal part of my uh, ministry life of two to three times a month being out somewhere else preaching. That's so interesting. You know, you figure within every Sunday sort of thing, you know, that there's bound to be situations where, you know, especially small churches are left without a teaching pastor Mm -hmm. for a week or two weeks or however long, especially now, especially in Mm -hmm. today's world. So, yeah. So to set the table as far as what what exactly we're, we're doing here, Brandon and I have approached a similar point just from two vastly different angles. Mm -hmm. Now, you guys have had this sneak peek, this this bird's eye view of my maturation process as we've gone through this whole thing. Over the last two and a half years of, of going from the rough around the edges pointing the finger most of the church is bad to pointing to god and trying to reconcile these things and accepting more of the role that i've been called into with ministry mm-hmm. um and not having that background of seminary and Bible college and all of those kinds of things, right? And so I'm mm-hmm. I'm now in this position of, you know, I'm being called into ministry, but in the world that we live in, in the country that we live in, Brendan and I both are obviously from America, mm-hmm. that everything that I've done thus far, the week-in, week-out ministering, the working with churches, doing media, mm-hmm. all of it, it's all for nothing, it's a, 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 according to most systems, that it's not, it doesn't qualify. Mm-hmm. It's not, it, it doesn't, it, it's not usable experience, which to me reads a whole lot like an office environment rather than, you know, ministry. And Brennan and I have had these conversations where, it turns out that due to your experience base, you have found yourself in a similar situation. Yeah, it's Yeah, it's complicated, man. I uh part of the issue in my experience has been the 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 coin gets flipped so quickly. It's weird. You 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 get out of college and you're bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and headed off into seminary. And you start applying, and unless you're connected with a church, or you know you've been going to, you've been a part of a certain denomination for a period of time, unless that is the case, you start applying to churches in general, and the general response back is, "We're looking for someone with five years' experience who is also has a master's degree, also married, also has kids, and you know I'm 22 or something." And don't have any of those things. Fast forward eight years later, I have now had churches who I am married and I do have a kid on the way and I am working on a master's degree. But I have had people tell me that the eight years of 
preaching ministry, that doesn't count as real ministry experience. Like they have told me that does not count as real ministry experience. Working in youth ministry, I've been doing that for four years now with my church. I'm currently an intern, but the past three years where I was just a volunteer, that doesn't count either. There is a certain specific there's something specific that churches look for. I've even had churches tell me I'm working on a master of arts, which if you're not familiar with the hierarchy of master degrees, you have masters of arts, which generally doesn't require the knowledge of the biblical languages, Greek and Hebrew. There's the masters of divinity, which is generally what uh, pastors will seek because they do require the knowledge of the original languages. And then there's the masters of theology, which to the best of my ability, uh, it has been explained to me that that is the most optional one of them all. You don't have to have that. I don't know why we have it then if it's optional. So I have, to some degree, you could say the least amount of time requirement, the least amount of credit requirement to have a master's degree. And I've had churches tell me that's not good enough, that I have to have a master's of divinity for the position I'm applying for. There is a lot of red tape. There is a lot of legalese when it comes to ministry, getting into vocational ministry. And it can be frustrating, especially like I did not come from a, I I come from a Christian household, but I don't come from a household that my father was a pastor. My grandfather was a pastor. That's, that's not the case. I'm the first one. I, I think I have like a very distant cousin. That's my dad's cousin. Uh, who is a pastor down in Kentucky or something like that. But I am the first one who wants to go into ministry. So my family have always been supportive of this, but they don't know how to help me. They know the corporate world of you just pound the pavement. You know that one, Joe, of you pound the pavement, you send out all the resumes and you just keep sending them out and you follow up, you know, that approach. Yeah, that doesn't work. (laughs) That doesn't seem to work in this world either. I have sent out roughly 200 applications to various churches, denominations, ministries. I have had less than 20 interviews and less than five job offers. And unfortunately, those offers just did not match up with the life that I was in at the time. I needed full-time work. They were oftentimes part-time jobs. So that is, I mean, that's my experience. This is an unforeseen issue that I wasn't prepped for at all. This didn't come up in any seminary training at all in my college training. I would take my resume to the job placement department at the college, at the seminary I was at at the time. And that was just, that was just silly. It was just silly. I would turn in the resume and one person would say use bullet points then i would take it to the next person and they would say use dashes and then the third person would say use bullet points so this is all arbitrary great i'm getting nowhere fast i also have had people in that my in my life as well not internationally but people in my life who have heard me preach who see me in the role i have in youth ministry and my own wife would be another example. My family, friends who are also in ministry, and they don't get it. They, they're they like, Brandon, why hasn't anyone hired you yet? And I would say, because I can't get past the resume. I can't get right. past the resume part. I, I don't have the nice sparkly, and I don't have the networking. But it is it is encouraging to me those days when I do get down in the dumps on this part of my life of feeling unfulfilled vocationally, you could say it is encouraging to have other people who say maybe a little bit different from you, but I have these people who say, dude, I don't get it. You're you, you have a calling and you have a passion for this. I don't understand. My one friend, uh, they were telling me that as my internship ends here at my home church, that I should make a presentation and just, you know, throw the Hail Mary pass of this is why you should hire me. And here's where I see that I can fit in. And that's actually something I'm working on. I haven't made my PowerPoint yet, but I am putting together a presentation to make the final pitch of, hey, I think you people would benefit from having someone like me around. I have to be careful because, uh, like I said at the top of the show, 
my whole gimmick for my podcast is let's talk about what I'm studying in seminary. So I want to I want to make this part clear. I'm not putting down seminary. I, I I have I have to put over seminary. I do think that seminary has a role. It's interesting that you have this perspective that it's to make good preachers. My issue with seminary, with general seminary, is that it is the same thing all the time. It is take these classes, take systematic theology one and two, take your preaching class, take your intro to the Old Testament, intro to the New Testament. You hit all these marks and then we sign off on you. That is my problem. There is, and you did say this a little bit, there is very little room for, can we talk about something else? Can we challenge the system a little bit? Can we think about something else? I was looking at, I have this weird hobby, Joe. Um, This is, you know, two geeks, two Bible geeks talking. I have this weird hobby where I will Google other seminaries and universities and see what type of degree programs they offer. Because I like education. I like being in an educational environment. I like studying. Homework isn't fun, but I do like these environments. And so I'm always open if we have the funds to continue my education. And what I've noticed is that there are some degrees out there that I would much rather be working on right now than my current one. My current one has been really helpful. I took a great class last quarter on discipleship, like real discipleship, like what is biblical discipleship? Let's understand the Hebrew and Greek mindset on discipleship. It was a fantastic class, not just programs, but what are we actually talking about here? I, so there's been points in my current program that I've really enjoyed. I'm growing in my faith, all the good things. But there's other programs out there that I would much rather be spending my time and money on studying, but they wouldn't get me into a a ministry job. They wouldn't get me into a pastoral role. If somebody saw Masters of Arts in Tolkien studies, and in case you don't know, that is the author of the book series, The Lord of the Rings, which is, he's one of my favorite authors. You can get that master's degree. If I had that and I tried to apply to a church, they would not be interested in me. And then at the same time, I've seen other seminaries where, you know, you get a concentration. Mine is Master of Arts in Ministry Studies. So my classes are split. It's split evenly. Half of it is theology. The other half is how to think critically about pulling off a ministry. I'll put it that way. Um, I've looked at other... uh, seminaries and colleges and theirs are 90% here's all the usual classes that everybody has to take and here's three classes that deal with a specific topic here's three classes on counseling here's three classes on preaching and I'm like I don't want to just keep studying the same thing over and over again give me something different to think about yeah and you know that regurgitated thoughts they show I I I don't want to ever come off like I'm the smartest guy in the room. I've never wanted to be that guy. But I, I do my assignments, and I, I, I do seminary online. So there is a weekly assignment that's basically like basically like a forum post. It's a forum post. So there's a general question. We have to supply answers, and then everybody has to respond to two of those answers. It's to replace the fact that we're not actually in a classroom discussing things. And I read some of these questions, and I'm sure that they're, they come from people who love the Lord. I'm sure they do. But it's just the th- same thing over and over again. And we're quoting John Calvin, and we're quoting John MacArthur. And I'm like, can we just, can we think about it a little bit? Can we come at it from a different perspective? I was just yesterday working on this assignment. I'm currently, as we're recording this, in a week on eschatology, and I had to break down Daniel 9.24. Okay, it's a without any nuance to it, it's complicated. Okay, end time stuff. And you know what I did? I went and I looked up a article written by a rabbi on this passage. You know why? 
because it's a, it was originally written to the Jews. I wanted to have the context of a Jewish understanding of this passage, not a evangelicals understanding of a Jewish passage. I did read those as well, but I wanted to see, okay, so what was the Jewish mindset behind this? And how that helped me is that of my resources that were from Protestant evangelicals, I saw where there were some that were connecting. And I said, okay, I'm going to draw more on this guy for my answers because he seems to have a little bit of a better understanding of what the original context for these pass for this passage was. So yeah, no one else did that. Everyone else is just, these are the answers. It's, it's just the American school system. These are the answers. We out here in Indiana, we have the I step, which is a lot of schools. They just prep you for taking the government funded tests. That's what yeah. they do. And there are times in seminary where they just prep you for exactly what you need to say. And sometimes you need to get outside of those thoughts and actually read something different. Look at it from a different perspective, even if you don't agree with it. Well, and therein lies such a big part of what I've found in doing digital ministry and the speaking that I have done in the the cooperative ministry that I've been doing, that there is a distinct lack of desire to understand the context, the original context mm -hmm. of the scriptures and of the presentation of all of this and all of that, rather than trying to force it all into here's how we can turn this into wait for it three good and helpful points to and they, and they all start with the letter b or c or something exactly exactly and so yes i i will always guys you know this community you know this i will always rib the church for the ridiculous aspects of the Sunday morning model. Is the Sunday mor mm. morning model inherently bad? No. But I'm also not afraid to call a spade a spade. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. when, it call sure. when it comes to the fact that, yeah, this is formulized. In a lot of respects, this is formulized. And that's the thing that intrigues me so much about doing ministry versus out-and-out -out church preaching. Because okay. I, it allows f for a bigger window, and unfortunately, this is a little bit of an indictment on on church, but it adds for a bit more of a window into being able to do life and get messy. You know, I sure. the one thing that I have uh, I I stay true to, regardless of whatever project I'm on. You guys have been hearing this. For two and a half years. You've been hearing this, Brandon, since October. People mm -hmm. on Kingdom on the Road have been hearing this since December. The longer that red light's on, the more vulnerable you're going to get in front of it. Mm -hmm. It's just a gimmick, right? But yeah. unfortunately, if it's becoming more and more prevalent to fall back on professionalism from the pulpit, Mm -hmm. Rather than vulnerability and rawness and authenticity to say, "Hey, look, I, I, yes, I am a, I am a Christian. Hey, yes, I might be the one that has been charged with leadership and being the one in the front of the room. I still wonder what God was thinking when he when he appointed me towards to to being a." a, a to being part of the system as far as as far as being in ministry and things like mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. But he did, and so I am, but that doesn't stop me from being a broken creature who still screws up, that still mm -hmm. needs grace, all of those kinds of things. Yeah. So I'm not a I'm not a huge fan, but John Piper has a great little book. Actually it's not very little. Uh, has a great book called Brothers We Are Not Professionals. 
And for me, Piper is 50-50. Either I really love whatever he has to say or whatever, I'll move on. And the very first line of this book is professionalism is killing the church. And I read that and said, okay, I think I'm in for this book because it's, it's tricky now. You know, we've, we've made it tricky because that's what we do well here in America. We make things tricky. We have, we have turned the church model in Acts 2, 42 through 47 into a corporate structure and there is hierarchy there. I mean, there are, there's always been hierarchy, whether it's the Anglican church, the, the Roman Catholic church, whatever it is, there's always been hierarchy, but there is a professionalism hierarchy within the American church now. And it's, it's one of these things. And this is where my existential crisis starts kicking in, Joe. It's one of those things where you look at the list, you look at all the things that we're doing wrong all of it all of the things the professionalism in the church the how we treat discipleship issues of abusive men leading congregations for years and people covering it up you know you just look at this laundry list of things that we have issues with and then i'm like why am i even bothering why even bother because you know i get a small pool of people who listen to me on the podcast and you know the what's what's a couple people compared to this mountain of issues that we have here in our country where's the change how can i make change to this system and this is the tension i have to deal with i i, I think you've said it before joe uh, off air i walk between worlds you're listening to a guy who's willing to rage against the machine and tear down the system who goes to a multi-site non-denominational church. Is it formulized? Yeah. Sometimes I stand there and I'm like, why am I doing this? Right. And uh, Joe, I know you're part of the house church movement, so I'm not putting you in this bubble. Um, but there are some out there who this is a book club. Oh, yeah. This is this this is a book club where i we're not leaving reading the bible we're listening to the liturgist and that just kind of makes my screen skin crawl a little bit because that's again we're getting away from acts 2 42 through 47 what did they devote themselves to the teaching of the apostles which for us would be the word of god because that's where the apostles writings are recorded so you know what do you do what do you do when the church is in this state of professionalism. Doesn't it need a level of professionalism if it's going to be ran like a corporation? Yes. Should it be ran like a corporation? I don't know, but we're already there. Yeah, and there's there are some schools who do try to make up for that. They may have an internship program that's embedded into the um, into the program, which... Again, that's usually more in the Masters of Divinity program because that's the one that's usually training people for uh, pastoral ministry. There is a Bible college and seminary down in Lafayette, Indiana, which means nothing to you, some of your audience, but I know where it is, and Middle Indiana that is big on Christian counseling. Now, it's not my preferred method of Christian counseling, but their whole program is academic and on site. You are in the, in the counseling room shadowing from basically day one. You're taking clients pretty early on yourself. It is very much blended together of practice and the classroom, which I mean, maybe we're dancing around the answer a little bit here of, where does discipleship fall into play in all of this? Maybe if we just had better discipleship interwoven into the church ministry already, that we could be developing people for ministry easier and quicker that don't necessarily have that education, but have that ministry experience. When you can be taught one-on-one -on -one Whatever the case may be, I'm not just talking about learning how to do ministry. 
I'm talking about mm-hmm. how to live out this whole Christian thing. Then if you can learn that one-on-one and do life with somebody one-on-one like that, there's a lot of power to be had in just that practice because all mm-hmm. of a sudden you have this authentic relationship that teaches you how to work this thing out. And yes, I am 100% biased because that is exactly what happened for the last two and a half of the three and a half-ish years that I've been a Christian. Like, you, you guys watched that. You guys watched me sit underneath Edgar's learning tree and be discipled mm-hmm. by somebody who walked many more miles than me, was part of an entirely different generation, and he wasn't the only one that was speaking into my life and doing life mm-hmm. with me on a very practical level. And I cannot reconcile this whole idea of disciples making disciples if we can become disciples making disciples then that means Mm -hmm. we understand how to do discipleship and Mm -hmm. that i think like you said is such a vitally key aspect and and again i just want to be clear there's there is power in calling out issues there is power in being able to point to things that are off base that are out of pocket right Mm -hmm. and and be able to point to the fact that we have countless examples of spiritually dead churches and all of these things and we can point to all of these issues that's not the problem doing that the problem is staying Mm -hmm. there and not trying to look towards a brighter tomorrow trying to point to God rather than pointing to the shortcomings of the man-made created system. Because here's the gimmick, right? Just like the church, the man-made created systems will always be flawed because they're created by man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the problem becomes, because this is just how humans behave is that either we see the problem and we say, Oh, well, and just plunge on or we throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. And you're both wrong. I don't know what the answer is. I'm trying to figure that out because again, I'm the guy who lives between all of the worlds, but I don't know if I'll come up with the solution, but I'm not willing to say it. The organized church is all bad, but I will tell you, Hey, this thing right here, this education system, this unnecessary level of professionalism is not okay. Right, and that's the beauty of the age bracket that we are in. So to give you an idea, we're both millennials. We're on different that's ends right. of the millennial spectrum, but we are both millennials. And you can tell that because I have a TikTok and Joe doesn't. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, but I I fundamentally understand that ours is a generation where things seem to be changing. The next generation is getting a bit too much of the credit, in my opinion. I think more of the precipice for issue is coming from the millennials that are that, that especially those of us that are part of the, the millennial group, which guys, if you didn't know this, those are all man-made constructs and we need to stop using them, but I'm only (laughs) frame of reference. So you guys understand what age bracket we're talking about. Um, but we we grew up in 90s era, what would Jesus do, early 2000s, mm-hmm. you know. Um, the be- purity culture, all that right, stuff. Right, the purity culture in the beginning of the spiritual but not religious movement. And now yeah. into, what's the phrase for it, neo-paganism? Ooh, oh, yes, yes, that is it, neo-paganism. Right, so... We so so we've seen several different faces on what is popular, what is the trend, what is all of that in our system, mm-hmm. and so many of us, and by proxy, the next generation 
are starting to reject this idea because now the gimmick is I can go wherever I please to go get my teaching. I can go on my phone mm-hmm. and access any number of sermons from any number of churches, whatever sure. I want, whatever flavor I want, and it doesn't necessarily need to be factual, like like good teaching, True. which again is mm-hmm. a conversation in and of itself. But by byproduct of all of that, we're now seeing this phenomena of people standing up and rejecting the tradition. Now, like you said, there is absolutely a contingent of the crowd that's going way too far in saying higher edu- higher education for Bible stuff is all bad. It's all experiential. It's all feeling. It's all... Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. Absolutely not. So we can't be so adverse to the system and to a system that we throw out every single system it's just this Mm -hmm. common ground and honestly for my money and again you know call brandon and i to book any territory in the world because we'll sit here and do it free of charge (laughs) but for my money it would seem like more of the answer is being found in this whole idea of you know what i am who i am Regardless of whether or not the red light's on, regardless of whether or not I'm up mm-hmm. in the pulpit, regardless of whether or not I'm in front of the entire community or just my wife, I am still the same person. I still have the same struggles. I still deal with the same stuff and the same garbage, mm-hmm. but I put my faith in something so much bigger. I put my faith in the kingdom. I put my hope there. That sound yeah. of victory still blares from deep down in my spirit, but... I, I'm not. I'm not ignorant towards, or I'm not trying to ignore what's going on around me and with me, and that seems to be that sweet spot that flies in the face of the tradition, kissing the ring in order to understand how to teach tradition, but also not going up there unaware of anything that's going on because we have plenty of people that get in front of a microphone nowadays that are totally unaware of context or understanding or anything like that you know what i mean and and we we're seeing that problem but we need to we need to avoid that but also dig into the good stuff yeah i think the the straw that broke the camel's back for me was i'm in systematic theology two. So last semester I took systematic theology one naturally. And I was reading that big old systematic theology book by Wayne Grudem. You ever seen it? It's like a big blue book. Yeah. It's like this thing, you you know, a couple inches thick. That thing could be considered a weapon. That thing's ridiculous. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I open it up. I'm supposed to, you know, read the introduction in the first chapter and whatever. So I'm, I'm reading the book. And when you think, systematic theology you think seminary right like that is that is the seminary class that is that is how you know some guy is spending a lot of money on his education and right there in the book it says that this book is for all christians it's for anybody anybody to pick up he has written it at a level that is for anybody regardless of your education to be able to hop into any chapter and be able to get through it easily well, easily enough when you're dealing with concepts like the Trinity. Um, and that that was really a breaking point for me of, okay, then why is this behind the paywall of higher education? Right. Why isn't this something that is taught in fill in the blank sunday school small groups life groups whatever you whatever your flavor your church has your you know home church like whatever it is that a small gathering of people get gets together like where is this because the reason why is because theology is the study of god and it's not just knowing everything about god it's about applying doctrine in our lives so Anytime you read a passage of scripture and you, you're reading about God and you're convicted to do something, that is theology in work. That is theology in practice right there. So why is it that we just keep this on the shelf for guys like me? We shouldn't 
it's right there in Grudem's book that it shouldn't be. This book is for all Christians. So I guess if there is any encouragement that I can give, because, you know, Joe and I have a tendency to be the old men yelling at the clouds. If there's any encouragement that I can leave in this episode with whatever time we have left, it would be this. Don't shy away. Don't shy away from studying whatever it may look like, whether that is pursuing a higher education, you know, Lord bless you. Getting systematic theology by Wayne Grudem, digging into maybe you're really interested in the minor prophets and you want to read all of the books on the minor prophets because there's probably not that many. Like, whatever it may be, don't shy away from that because and here's the gimmick over at my seminary life is that my purpose is to help you know and experience God more in your life. We have our sanctification into jesus christ being made into the image of christ is holistic it's not just what we do it's what we think it's how our our emotions respond to different situations we have a holistic change in mind and that's my purpose at least with my ministry through my seminary life that is my purpose is to help people know god and also experience him more so don't don't shy away learn learn study god's word get good books listen to good podcasts like this one and mine and anything else joe and i are involved in and steal everything from the bible project like do these do the work and know god more yeah and the two things that come to my mind from from another person who's who's trying to make their way in the ministry world and you know especially for those of you listening that you know, aren't seminary trained and, and all of that. And, and you're, you're interested in, you know, teaching Bible or ministering or getting involved with ministry and things like that. Two things. One, um, done beats perfect every time because we can never be perfect. So if we wait for Mm. perfect, then we're never going to get anything done. And, I, I mean that in the sense of the person. Trust me, when I first got when I first was positioned to get into ministry, I was a much different person, like we talked about. And I'm still growing. I'm still being convicted of bad thought processes and issues and working through those things on a regular basis. We're not called to be perfect. We are called if we are but if we are called to minister and be involved with active ministry and things like that, then that means that we've got a calling. That means that we are Mm -hmm. held responsible for what we do with that. And so moving forward with that is it's, it's a non-negotiable. We've got to do it. So don't Mm -hmm. expect to be perfect when you get called because that's not how that works. Don't allow for people to take your opportunity because of some reason or another because of something that they say because of something that they that they do if you are if you are being rejected by for lack of credentials push forward keep going forward that just means that 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 place was not the right place for you to be ministering that's hard that doesn't make Mm -hmm. it easy but it does allow for you to understand that this is a process and that eventually you're going to get to the opportunity that you are supposed to be at. You know, 10 years ago is when I went to college, which now makes me old. You know, it's when I first rolled into college was 10 years ago. And in 2012, things looked a lot different. There was It was different. And for a young guy coming out of high school who had been told for both basically his whole life, hey, I think you're going to be a pastor one day. That's all I had my sights set on, was getting into pastoral ministry. And what in what has changed, especially within the past year, is that as many doors as God has closed, and I talked about that back at the top of this, of all the applications, the preaching ministry door has never been closed. I've even been told... <laughs> A, a church told me to stop showing up. I, I was uninvited by a church at one point, Joe, which I guess that's... I've got more stories. If you ever want to have me back on, I've got more stories. Um, 
I was uninvited once, but for as many doors have been closed, the preaching ministry has always stayed open. Youth ministry, I was never really interested in being in youth ministry, but that's been one of those things that a, a good dose of humility of, hey, you're going to try this for a season. And I've, through serving in youth ministry, I've seen students grow and now have a heart for ministry and wanting to serve the Lord. I've seen student, students grow up just in maturity in general because they're eighth graders. I have have such great friends now that care about me and love me and I love them. And it's a healthy community among believers. And then there's this, this wasn't podcasting. Wasn't really a thing in 2012. Like maybe Joe Rogan had his show by this point, but this was, you know, podcasting was kind of a newer thing in 2012. Now everybody has one, but you know, I've got this now where I'm speaking to a group of people helping them to know and experience God more. My wife and I, we run a small group. Like, is it paying the bills? Barely. But my wife has always made more money than me. So I'm fine with that. So is it vocational? No. But I am doing... So God has put me into so many different ministries right now that it's baffling to me. And each one... Yes, each one, I had to think about that before I said it, has also allowed me to get to know some great people who love the Lord, who are also passionate to see ministry take place in whatever the context may be, and that it's done to God's glory and that others are drawn towards him. I've, yeah. So is this my, I guess this is my swan song moment of saying, you know, I wouldn't trade it. You know, I, I am okay. I was talking to my friend, boss, pastor the other day. Uh, He's the guy I report to for the internship Uh, that with Cooper coming into the mix and me becoming the stay at home dad, this is again, not really what I saw in 2012 when I was a sweaty 18 year old, but, but I'm happy with where I'm at. I am content with the ministry that I the ministries that I'm in now and if God wants me to be a pastor later on like I open hand open handed here because if that's something God wants I think God is powerful enough to get me into that position is it going to be the longest trail to get there uh, apparently but I'm okay with that because I'm thankful for where what I've gone through and where I'm at now there's something special about the fact that um, you can look through hindsight and see the power in the journey. You know, it, mm-hmm. there's something that shows a sign of maturity when you can flip from calling out the problem to being able to count your blessings. And I think sometimes we fall into the misunderstanding that it's a one or the other sort of proposition. And so I I too, you know, the stories that I could tell over the last two and a half years of doing this and the random doors that have opened and all of those kinds of things. And the fact that this has become what what it has become is a testament to God. It's not about me. It's not about Edgar. It's not about anybody else. It's about God, 100%. And... Mm -hmm. There's there's beauty in the ridiculous story, I think. You know, again, not you know, if you went the straight path and and did the whole pastor thing, that's more power to you. But there's yeah. beauty in the story for the person who went the wilderness route, if you will, to to get to this point of being in ministry and involved in ministry and all of those kinds of things. I uh, I really love the artist JJ Heller. Do you know no. her? She's a indie indie Christian singer, one of the one of the good ones, and uh, she has this song. God will be there, I think is what it's called. I'm blanking on the title of the song, uh, but it's basically about what if everything goes wrong. It, it, like I, the song opens with "What if I forget the order of the chorus that I wrote." <laughs> the order of the words of the chorus that I wrote. What if, you know, my, my baby has a fever, just all these things. And the, 
the actual chorus of the song goes, God will be there in the desert too. So whether you have taken that, the, the system worked for you. If the system worked for you, I'm not mad at you. I've had plenty of good friends who the system has worked for them and then some. Good. I'm glad it has. But if you're like me and you or me and Joe, really, and you've traveled through the desert, are still traveling through the desert, through the wilderness, God will be there in the desert, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. So why don't you go ahead and let people know where they can find you? Yeah. So again, you can find My Seminary Life most likely wherever you're listening to this show currently. Apple Podcasts, iTunes, that's the same thing. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Um, we're also on Facebook and Instagram at My Seminary Life Pod. I don't know when this episode will be coming out, but Joe is going to be or already was, depending on the time frame uh on an episode recently where we talked about end times media so that was we had a lot of fun recording that episode at least and if you're interested in just following me around you can find me on instagram and tiktok technically at just.brandon.k all right great and to uh wrap it up you want to go ahead and pray us out sure uh heavenly father i just want to first pause to say thank you for this opportunity for me to being able to be on this show to continue in this fellowship with Joe that uh, we have built over these past six months. I thank you for the ministry of Buddy Walk, uh, being able to have real authentic conversations about you with people all around the world. God, you have blessed us in a time with this great technology that takes the message of the gospel all around the world to people that we may never meet this side of heaven. Lord, I just pray as we have this conversation about, you know, the difficulties that we have had in this life with ministry, we do want to still counter blessings and say thank you for putting us in the ministries that we are involved in. And Lord, may it be possible that you would use Joe and myself and anyone else who is on board with this ministry, with this uh, conversation that we've had today to make the changes we don't hate the church. We don't hate seminary. We believe that these are tools that you are using to bring your kingdom to the earth. So I pray that we will be change agents to do that. We love you. and We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.